what I'm really fascinated with right now is, you know, COVID and kind of the challenges of COVID have, I think, forced the enterprise to embrace authenticity somewhat by default, right? Like in this type of moment, you can't bring out a, a large scale video production crew, kind of craft the perfect looking message over, you know, really produce this perfectly, take weeks to push it out. The world's, the world's shifting, right? So one, we got to be able to produce faster. Two, it's got to look good. It's going to be on brand, but it, you know, production doesn't trump the story or the message you're trying to tell, right? Uh, and thirdly, speed, right? You got to get this content out there. Things are moving too quickly to have kind of back and forth and weeks go by. It's just, it's just accelerating. And so I think there's this, this change in the market, which has really been accelerated by social media in general, and now even more facilitated, or I should say accelerated by, by Corona, which is, look, content's ephemeral. Like your, your message is you got to hit, you got to hit hard and you got to hit quick. Um, and I think that, that just in a world of like high production, um, unfortunately it doesn't necessarily work all the time. And so it's not that you can't be on brand or produce something that looks great. It's just that the story and the message is ultimately what wins. Welcome to the data bench podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, one, deploy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode, and thank you for joining the discussion. If you've been following the podcast, you are probably well acquainted with the live broadcast productions I've been seriously investing some time into over the past couple months. You'll know this as Simply Tech Live, a program featuring the evolving landscape of tech that a colleague of mine at Microsoft, Ali Mazahari, and I are collaborating on. I'm personally very bullish on live production. The authentic opportunities it gives guests to represent their true selves, as well as allowing the audience to comment and ask questions in real time. And today's episode is the first of many podcast interviews that I will do completely live on LinkedIn as a video broadcast with simulcasts, meaning I'll be deploying video out to different social distribution channels such as YouTube and Facebook. And hopefully this is an as enjoyable experience to you as our pre-recorded sessions we've done in the past. You'll of course be able to access the actual video streams on demand via the show notes here and can always follow me on LinkedIn via linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Derek Wesley Russell to watch in real time and engage in live feeds before they are available in your favorite place to stream this podcast. But I was not able to embrace this new live reality on my own. I've gotten a lot of help and guidance and certainly adapting to and adopting novel ways to communicate is a process, especially being that LinkedIn Live is still in beta. I was very fortunate to build a great relationship with David Marika the CEO and founder of Social Live, an enterprise-grade video creation, production, and deployment platform that allows for the democratization of video capture and content generation, allowing for video creation to be easy, fast, and high quality at scale. This is not an advertisement, but Social Live is an incredible platform that I've been using to deploy awesome video content out to the world. And I'm also using the same effort to create the audio you're listening to now, David has been the CEO and founder of what is now Socialive for over the past 10 years, and it has pivoted and evolved with changes and trending in digital media, live streaming, and now the emergence of video in the enterprise. 
David has over 15 years of experience in leadership and innovation in digital media all up with some familiar experiences at places like McKinsey in his earlier career to Scholastic. Hopefully that name brings back some memories for you. If you can remember convincing your parents to buy your Hardy Boys or Goosebumps copies fresh off the print press back in elementary school. Whereas a corporate entrepreneur at Scholastic, David focused on creating a new line of business based on digital learning platforms. An attorney by trade, David has a JD in law from Harvard Law School and generally brings a wealth of perspective to the conversation as we talk about the many crossovers and nuances in David's journey that has got him to where he's at today with Social Live. As you can imagine, the need for video creation, whether for business or personal use, as the world flexes into new ways to communicate with each other during social distancing, has led to an explosion of content generation as businesses ramp up their internal and external communications. And we'll dive deeper into what David and his team have been super busy doing pre and current through this pandemic era. Today, we talk about the evolution of video creation, the differences between virtual conferencing and scalable video creation, which is where Social Live lives today. The power of creating dynamic video presentations as immersive experiences that are engaging for all audiences in both gated and ungated experiences. And of course, the emergence of live. How COVID has inspired authenticity in communication and why the logistics of video production should never hamper the storytelling components of your messaging. We talk about the importance of democratized capture of video and why execution speed and quality are more effective than the legacy approaches of high quality video production. We also talk about use cases on how agile video can unlock creativity and innovation, specifically in the media and entertainment verticals. How business leaders are focusing on using internal communications for business continuity and more importantly, how it can be used to ignite organizational cultural change and transformation. Finally, we talk about entrepreneurship and raising capital, some areas that David is very, very passionate about, the challenges and the advantages to innovation and talent development across different market dynamics, including NYC, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. So you'll be able to see the differences there. I really hope you enjoy this episode with David. And if any of these topics are as fascinating to you as they are for me, I absolutely recommend you check out the Social Life platform at www sociallive.us, or at least take a hard look at what your video strategy should be across internal and external comms. Take a hard look at LinkedIn Live and the live capabilities of other platforms. Video really is the new vessel for executive messaging. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, wishing the very best of health and safety to you and your families. Now I bring you David Marika. David, welcome to the very first live production episode of Data Binge Podcast. How are you doing? Doing great, Derek. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, this is super, super exciting. I think we've been talking about this for a little while here. And how about we start off the discussion with a quick positive thing that you are thinking about or is happening to you in this, in this wake of this crazy crisis that we're in? And I'll, and I'll get started. Uh, feeling very positive that my wife and I are still working mm-hmm. and probably too much. And we finally realized that it's time for her to step a- away from work a little bit and go okay. part time because we're finally realizing that we don't spend enough time with our kids. And now that they're home all the time, 
we we want to watch him grow up a little bit more. So we're super thankful for that. So that's that's my positive thing. Why don't you go for it? Yeah, that's awesome, by the way, because I think uh, this this weird pandemic is going to cause us all to reflect on how we live and operate and probably make some changes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. So like you, I have two, a uh, bit older. Um, and what's been really interesting, I think, positive uh, from a family perspective is the decomplication of life a little bit. I mean, obviously, it's a very complicated experience as we can't go out. But in some ways, it's forced us to simplify our lives, you know, not over schedule, not kind of run from thing to thing. But like Saturday morning, Sunday morning is getting back to yes. making pancakes, playing chess with the kids, you know, spending quality time, which be honest with you, you know, you're running from soccer game to baseball game, you miss some of that. So, so that's been one positive from a familial perspective, for sure. I love that. And so I'll kick off why we're on the call today or the discussion today and, you know, how we know each other. And so last year, I think February or so, I heard that LinkedIn Live was releasing its beta platform, LinkedIn Live. I applied for it, uh, got through into the beta process, tried a couple different stream uh, streaming applications. So in order to stream live, you have to kind of be vetted through their application process. And then you have to choose some kind of a third-party software vendor to create this video and then deploy it through these different live uh, players, if you will. Did that, use Social Live platform. We're actually using that today. And uh, you reached out and said, hey, Derek, you know how, how can we help you? You're the only person that reached out of all these different solutions I used. Uh, and then you kind of brought to bear this, your, this entire team that has been helping me uh, go live in the past year so far. It's been absolutely wonderful. I feel like a part of the family, the Social Life family. Uh, and you guys have done so much to help me create some really great content and just looking, really, uh, looking forward to just diving in into this discussion. What do you do at Social Live and what is Social Live? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for being a, a partner as well. Um, you know, I remember when you did sign up and immediately said, let's start talking to this guy. And, and we're we, you know, excited to keep working with you. Um, Social Live, uh, I'm the founder and CEO of the company. Uh, Social Live is a complete enterprise video platform. So our foundation, our background is in live video, but we're really like an end to end enterprise video platform. So we help, you know, large scale enterprise customers. Um, really solidify and simplify how they capture, create, and distribute video across the enterprise. And that's for, you know, certainly external communications and marketing like we're doing here, but also for internal communications, learning and development, and uh, recruitment marketing as well. And, and okay, right now, this, we have this massive influx of yeah. everything is going video, you know, and, and even the title of the, of the discussion today is, you know, video is the new executive messaging. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between a virtual meeting and what you guys are doing. So you have these like the Zooms and the, yeah. and the Teams and the, those types of solutions and, and what you guys are doing. And what have you been up to the last three to four weeks? Has, it's it's got to be crazy. Yeah, no, the, uh, the, I'll, I'll answer the latter question first and we'll circle back to, you know, virtual conferencing versus, you know, scalable video content creation. So uh, for us, the, the business is, has actually exploded in the last three to four weeks. And, you know, I'm obviously just grateful to be on this side of it because it's a, it's a really dicey economy out there. Yeah. Um, and we've added about 25 or 30 new customers in just the last three weeks alone. And uh, we're also seeing a lot of expansion in how our customers, our existing customers are using the platform. Um, just given the nature of having a remote work workforce and executives having a, a need to create quick video to communicate and engage with employees and with, you know, even corporate affairs. So, um, but, you know, what's, what's really interesting is um, 
some of the the challenges that I think you know we're seeing is is helping folks understand in the changing world what the difference is between a virtual meeting software, Zoom being I think you know one of the leaders right now in the market, um, but also Microsoft uh, Teams has a great platform, and I've, I've actually spent a lot of time on that. But understanding kind of the difference between like what's great for a meeting, virtual meeting. Versus I need to create a, more of a dynamic presentation. I need to deliver a live video experiences that is engaging and immersive um, and even a kind of a gated webinar. So I think we're learning right now that video content creation and live streaming, they're different than a virtual meeting. There's kind of a, a place where you can take Zoom or Microsoft Teams to from a, from a conferencing perspective, but then from an executive presentation and messaging perspective or just video storytelling perspective, it doesn't quite go to that level. And that's where we really occupy is that scalable video content creation and storytelling side of the market. And before I ask you how this entire solution started to form and, and what your thoughts are about the industry, I just have to ask you a quick question. What does the future of electronic dance music <laughs> mean to you when I when I say that? Oh my god, yeah. So I guess you uh, have read a little bit about the history of Social Live. So like most, like many startups, uh, we were not Social Live out of the gates. We essentially pivoted and morphed into Social Live over the course of a fairly long journey. Sometime we'll have a beer and, and talk more about it. But uh, yeah, before we were Social Live, we were Mixify, uh, a platform for electronic music artists to stream both virtually as well as we were connecting DJs into venues across the world. So we had like Steve Aoki streaming live from LA into Vietnam in a, in a two-way experience with a lot of latency, by the way, back then. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. In the last couple of weeks, we've had a number of electronic music and other types of musical artists come back to Socialive, um, not knowing that we were formerly Mixify, sometimes saying we miss Mixify, you know, we're looking to stream. So it's kind of full circle. I mean, we're obviously in the enterprise space now. But the idea that, you know, our ideas of how, you know, streaming and connectivity could be could happen are coming full circle as we speak right now. I mean, we're talking about a lot of really fun stuff. And certainly we're both creators and, you know, I'm using your platform to create video and deploy video, produce it. Uh, you've been in this industry for longer than I even knew existed, really, you know, since 2009 with, with uh, Mixify. How did you get into this thing? I, and just kind of looking at looking at your LinkedIn profile and some of the, the, the history of your career, you have a, a JD, a JD law degree from Harvard. So <laughs> what does that have to do uh, with all of this digital creation? And, and like, how did you get started? Why were you interested in this entire thing? And how does that meet up to what you're doing today? Yeah, no, I appreciate that question. I mean, it starts first of all with, you know, I've always had kind of a creative and entrepreneurial bend, like even going back to, you know, high school, college days. A lot of that was actually initially oriented more around social enterprise. Like when I was in college, I started a nonprofit organization uh, with a good friend called School Children of the World. And we produced educational videos on school children from Zimbabwe and Malaysia to help kids in the US learn about their peers, but through the personal narrative. So it's interesting, even going back to college, there was this element of how to use video, how to use storytelling to make things more real, more concrete, to help kids in the U.S. kind of break down the barriers of geography to say, hey, these kids in Zimbabwe, they're not so different from me. And the ways they are different from me are actually wonderful to learn about and embrace. So that, that existed in me for a long time. I also had kind of this interest on the analytical side, which you know, ultimately led me to law school. Um, and you know, coming out of law school, I spent a, a few years at McKinsey Consulting, which is you know, a place where highly analytical business training. Uh, and then moved over to a company called Scholastic, which, you know, is the publisher of Clifford the Big Red Dog and 
scholastic book fairs, book clubs, and um, essentially became a corporate entrepreneur within that company uh, within about a year. And that's where I really started to get the bug to do my own thing. And, you know, I actually had an idea that kind of emanated from something I built within uh, um, Scholastic, which was an online music creation platform for kids. And I can't on this uh, conversation connect all the dots, but it all has led to, to what we are today, Socialize. That's just such a cool career map. And I think a lot of people who are getting into the startup world really care about connecting the dots and, and what that means. And I'd love to dive into to education, maybe at the tail end of the call. Sure. Um, but, you know, you, you, there's a lot of content that you've created or talked about or talks you've been on or things that you've shared where you talk about this authentic self and, and, and what that means. And, and just when I think of authentic, you know, I just went and just looked it up in the dictionary and it's uh, of undisputed origin, right? And everyone's talking about this authentic thing, but are they truly authentic? What is what is your definition of that, and how are you thinking that video is evolving into this space uh, in the enterprise and and beyond? Yeah, I mean, what I, what I'm really fascinated with right now is you know COVID and kind of the challenges of COVID have I think forced the enterprise to embrace embrace authenticity somewhat by default, right? Like in this type of moment. You can't bring out a, a large-scale video production crew, kind of craft the perfect-looking message over, you know, really produce this perfectly, take weeks to push it out. The world's, the world's shifting, right? So one, we got to be able to produce faster. Two, it's got to look good. It's going to be on brand. But, it, you know, production doesn't trump the story or the message you're trying to tell, right? Uh, and thirdly, speed, right? You got to get this content out there. Things are moving too quickly to have kind of back and forth and weeks go by. It's just, it's just accelerating. And so I think there's this, this change in the market, which has really been accelerated by social media in general, and now even more facilitated, or I should say accelerated by, by Corona, which is, look, content's ephemeral. Like your, your message is you got to hit, you got to hit hard and you got to hit quick. Um, and I think that, that just in a world of like high production, um, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily work all the time. And so it's not that you can't be on brand or produce something that looks great. It's just that the story and the message is ultimately what wins. And, and, and just looking at some statistics all up, when you think about video and just kind of captured a couple little key facts here, um, you know, Cisco projects global internet traffic uh, to be consumed by video 82% by 2021. Using the word video in an email subject increases click-through rate from 19% to 65%. So people are thinking about video. Mm-hmm. Uh, 85% of videos on Facebook are watched without sound. So you, you have those legacy types of statistics. 75% of business executives actually watch online videos every week. Uh, and then, of course, I'm a little biased. I'm on the Microsoft team. You look at today, Microsoft Teams, you're twice as likely in the last month to turn on video when you're on a conference call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and those those daily conference minutes are now up to 2.7 billion minutes wow. a day. Uh, just massive, massive growth. So as folks start to look at video, as folks start to really focus on their video strategy, I know Social Live, you mentioned that there's a live component, there's an internal comms component. What are all the different pieces that you're thinking about um, as you start to talk to some of these business leaders about the platform? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so... Um, First and foremost, one of the features that we really continue to build out, which we think is critical, is what we call like 
democratized capture of video across the enterprise. So one of the big challenges within a lot of enterprise organizations is how do I get video in from folks in different locations? I mean, and now we're seeing this more than ever. I can't send out a video crew to the CEO's home even today because of the current situation. So how do I get this video sourced from the field in a way that is so dead simple for that, say, C-level executive or that business influencer or that subject matter expert. So we have a we have a feature within Socialize that's on our mobile app. It's called Record a Video. It is dead simple, but it's actually very powerful. It allows you to record a video straight from the phone, connects into a centralized library, video library that's accessible by the admins of that team. From there, they get it within minutes. The nice thing is there's no storage on the phone, no need for disparate, you know, kind of storage mechanisms to get it there. So you don't have to use uh, you know, OneDrive in this case, or uh, Google Drive, or uh, um, or Dropbox. It's back in the the the, the library. The nice thing is, from there, uh, an admin with no video experience, generally speaking, can clip that up. They can bring it into the Socialize Studio to add some polish, some branding, some calls to action, whatever it might be, and publish it out. You take the end-to-end video capture, creation, and distribution experience from hours or days or weeks to literally can be minutes. Um, and that is one thing that I'm really, really excited about. Um, additionally, we're really kind of continuing to build out some of the live capabilities within Socialive, um, especially thinking about like um, how to create more like gated webinar experiences. And, you know, I think we'll, we'll see some evolution on LinkedIn in terms of what they offer there, but also third party platforms. How do you create kind of that gated branded experience uh, behind a behind a wall? And, and in those discussions, this is super interesting. I love how you're just touching upon what's going on right now with this logistics nightmare of trying to get a mm-hmm. film crew out. I mean, uh, you're in your home. Um, you certainly you, you did, you don't have a, a film crew with you right now. Yeah. Um, what do these discussions look like, David, that you're just having? I mean, you guys are unbelievably busy. I'm seeing emails yeah. coming over from you guys at like 9 PM at night, 6 AM. Mm-hmm. Like your whole team is just full throttling. Yeah. Can you describe what that outreach looks like to you? Um, from, from some kind of a leadership uh, uh, perspective and then what your follow through is, what kind of questions you're asking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like what does that journey look like, that customer journey? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really exciting time in the market for us. I mean, it's a sad time overall in the market for a whole slew of reasons because, I mean, we certainly have customers who bi- whose businesses are massively affected. But for us, we are in a really unique position, I think, to be able to help our customers in a way that I think when they see Socialive, they're like, oh, I didn't even know something like this existed. This open, it actually unlocks creativity and innovation because of the, the, the agility in terms of the workflows and the options they have here. So, you know, what's happening is first and foremost, like I think there, a lot of our business right now is very much inbound driven, right? So I think um, over the last two years, we've started to build our profile in the marketplace. We, we've certainly uh, gotten into some great organizations that we feel really fortunate that have taken us on as customers. So one, being part of, you know, being within those organizations and being through procurement <laughs> alone uh, makes us a, a viable option for companies to move quickly to adopt us. Um, but also, like, we've proven ourselves within those organizations. But what we're seeing a lot of is, it's interesting, it, it's, it's, it's across industries. I mean, we're getting inbound inquiries across probably about 25 different industries right now. Some of the ones that have been most interesting is, first of all, media and entertainment. Media and entertainment has historically not been a market that we've gone after because they tend to have a lot of installed hardware, kind of more traditional video production approaches. Well, they're in a bind right now because they can't do it the way they've done it before because everyone's remote. We've been working with a number of organizations, including Viacom, on being able to really kind of enable 
multiple guests to join in a in an experience, not actually to broadcast it live necessarily, but to essentially capture that content, take out the isolated feeds, and then put it through their, their post-production flow. So what's that really helping is the ability to get the key content from celebrities and other, uh, other key kind of uh, uh, content experts in that for their programming and still be able to push out both linear programming as well as social programming. So that's more in kind of the media and entertainment space. But in the executive world, we're definitely seeing a lot of inbound interest right now for corporate comms and executive comms. And I'd say on executive comms, it's really about C-level messaging, particularly to the employee base. Like how do we get you know, the C-level execs in front of the employee base to create a sense of business continuity, keep the engagement going? And again, uh, I think what we're finding is it's got to be dead simple for the C-level execs. Like the idea is that they just have to be able to join, click a button, and be recording video or joining live. And you know, someone on their team can be handling things virtually uh, on the back end. And, and we've kind of designed that, the, the platform with that in mind. Is there friction? I mean, I'm just thinking about folks who are dialing in business calls, virtual calls, meetings, and they just don't feel comfortable engaging on video you know yeah folks are, are are engaging video twice as much as they used to but where where's the friction that you're seeing just generally as a culture as a business culture if you're not talking to like the snapchats of the world and these very fast moving kind of young enterprises what what is the biggest friction point and what is your advice as you're seeing this if, as an advisor to some of these executives in terms of how they should start just enabling themselves to be more digital. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I'm not seeing a whole lot of fr- friction at the enterprise, like kind of C-level uh, perspective. In fact, I think I've been amazed by what I'm uh, like, the types of companies that are uh, asking for our support and kind of the way they're thinking about this. It's like, it's spot on. So I think that the business need is there. And I think the organizations are generally stepping up to the challenge. What I think needs to change in the market is actually uh, procurement, um, to be honest with you. Like the reality is legal and procurement naturally have a role and their role is to mitigate risk. But in a world that's moving really, really fast, that risk mitigation and remind you, reminder, I'm a lawyer by training, so I can yeah. appreciate the side of it. But the risk mitigation with the need to accelerate and get out in front of it, it there's a bit of a clash there. Now, organizations are figuring out a way to leverage agencies and other kind of groups to, to, to run this through. Um, in our case, you know, run social life through, or if we're already in procurement, it's a different story. But I think that's one of the areas that I think coming out of this, there's going to be like a real look at like, hey, we're not able to get things up and running because we typically have a six to 12 month procurement process. Like, like the world moves too fast for that. Yeah. On the flip side, you need to be, you need to be sensitive to security. I mean, we know what's been happening with Zoom recently and, and obviously they're, they've addressed, starting to address some of that, but you know, there, there is a reality around security and risk, but we got to figure out a balance within the enterprise of how you can move fast enough while maintaining, you know, security. It, it, it's, you're touching on some really interesting points and the, the, Brad Smith, he's the president at Microsoft. And he, he wrote a book called, uh, I think, Weapons and Tools, Tools and Weapons, one of the two. It okay. just talks about, you know, AI and, and security and privacy. And we're just seeing this with our with our own government system. Right. You know, how, how, are, how can you be nimble enough to look at the market and respond to what's going on in the world? And I think I think a lot of large organizations are probably going to have a, a tough time with that. And, you know, especially institutional organizations like state and local government. Yep. When you think about a message that you want to leave for folks that are struggling with how they should approach this, especially right now, 
Like, what does that message look like just from your experience as a leader, as a, as a, as a founder and a CEO of yeah. Socialive? Like, what does that look like when people are just, they don't know what to do, which is certainly the, the issue with a lot of different businesses here? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you just got to start moving. Like, I think don't let paralysis be, be the obstacle. You got you to commit to, to, to video and to the messaging. Again, I think simplicity is key. Like what we always work with our customers on is let's not design the grandest idea. Let's focus on what our objective is in terms of what is the message objective? What is the business objective? What's the fastest, easiest, least friction-filled way to get there? And that's repeatable, right? And so I think sometimes we get focused on kind of bells and whistles when at the end of the day, we got to find the fastest way to get the messaging out to engage. And, and the other thing is like, Content is not a one-time thing. Like we're doing this live video right now, right? A certain number of people will see it. Some people will engage it. Great. But it's content. So how do we take this 45 or 60-minute piece of content we have? How do we take that and turn that into multiple pieces of messaging that we can repurpose? That's another thing we're really pushing on. The whole idea of live video is not an island. It's not a one-time thing. It's a long, it's a long-form content. It's your, your big rock content that you can repurpose in an ongoing way. So you got to do that. And, and how, mu- how much is the, of the discussion is that console? So you're starting to go into this advisory kind of role yeah, and you're, yeah. you're, you're talking about, look, guys, like, or, or, or gals, yeah, certainly, this is how you should approach. This is what you should be doing. You're talking about authentic self. You're talking about inter- internal comms, what's going on with the times today. When it comes to guidance, and now that I'm, I'm sure you're having these discussions with marketing, like, what are those groups that you're having those discussions with? Are they more folks like like me from the from the get go who are interested in this thing? Is it marketing teams? Um, and then, what level of feedback are you giving them in terms of their strategy moving forward, or do they just have a, their own strategy already? Yeah, so I'd say in most cases they have like a general sense of what they need to do. Maybe um, they also have far more constrained timelines than they've ever had before. I mean, I can't tell you the number of folks who are coming in saying, "Hey, we need to do this uh, in three days or four days." Um, so we're well positioned to help these teams for, for a few reasons. One, the platform is really, really easy to onboard folks on. It's generally intuitive. Um, but two, over the course of the last three or four years and being in this space, we've just become kind of de facto experts on, you know, scalable video content creation, even metrics around the marketing side, like how to think about, you know, building the funnel versus, you know, top of top of the funnel engagement and eyeball, uh, you know, kind of aggregation. I mean, even for example, things like we're simulcasting on my page and your page, these are things we figured out that we build into a playbook, right? And so, you know, a big part of what we're bringing to the folks we work with isn't just here's some technology that's really good. In fact, we don't even start with the technology. We start with what's your objectives? What's the use case? How do we design around those business objectives and use case in the simplest, most repeatable way? Okay, here's how we apply the technology for that. Okay, then let's build the next use cases because it's not a one size fits all. It's not a one trick pony, but it's like get you to get you out of the gates is something really successful. And then we got playbooks for those things. So our customer success team, as you've seen, uh, seen into it, you know, we'll kind of partner up with these companies because we're not just looking at this as what's your video strategy? What's your video content? We're like, how do we create cultural transformation at your organization? And that's like, that's kind of C-level thinking. And look, we don't care if you're a social media manager or a CEO, like we're going to help bring that type of thinking to the table in terms of how we transform um, the culture little by little uh, with this type of video content. And and cultural transformation, those are just words I'm so familiar with because those are the types of discussions I'm having day to day in my day job at Microsoft, just 
constantly talking about, and, and for, for us, it's more about innovation. For you, it's probably more communication and, and those types of things. When it comes to gaps that you see in the marketplace, not just for you as a business, but in terms of the need that you see or the need that you think is going to be filled, whether it be by a social live or a, a competing platform or whatever, what does that gap analysis look like? Is that is that high? Are those things that are just evolving from a day to day? Like you know, three months ago we didn't know that Zoom would be talked about every sixty seconds, and now it is. Like, like have you have you thought about some trends and things that are super mm-hmm. interesting that you think you're going to have to try to capture soon? Yeah, I mean, look, interestingly, um, I would say broadly speaking, our product roadmap hasn't changed all that much, which I think suggests that what we've been building against was already primed for this moment, as now is even more primed for the post-pandemic moment as well. Um, but I'll kind of break it into like different phases. So there's a lot, look, I think we're still at the tip of the iceberg in the world that we live in. Like Zoom and virtual conferencing, that's a very well-established, relatively old category from a video perspective. And Zoom, in many regards, has just done it better um, than a lot of uh, existing folks. But they're still, again, it's built on a different kind of technology and a different vision of content or video. It's not actually content creation, it's meetings, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. where we live, we think we're still at the, the tip of the iceberg. And in fact, Gardner, you know, Gartner hasn't even created a magic quadrant on our space because it's emerging. They don't probably even know it exists. Yeah. We're here to say it does exist. But uh, right now, I think we're kind of, you know, not, it's not really, it's not, it's, it's not really clear, like how it would be organized. But to start, the biggest need right now is, is on enterprise scale and, and simplicity, right? So the biggest challenge we are solving is around video content creation for the enterprise, right? Which historically has gone through like centralized teams and needs to kind of be more democratized. You need to allow, you know, retail associates at Walmart to contribute content. You need C-level executives to be able to join from a mobile phone on the go. You need to make this just a lot easier. So we're solving that. And there's a lot of things we want to continue to build in our platform there. But bigger picture, look, um, we see a, a, a gaping hole, quite frankly, in the webinar space. Um, folks are, you know, I won't name the platforms, but folks are using pre-existing solutions that they're not thrilled with. And there's a way to do this more modern, more dynamic, more emerge, uh, immersive. And we're putting together some partnerships there that I think will allow us to more sooner rather than later kind of go after the webinar space in a clearer way and kind of own that gated or ungated webinar side of the equation or play a big part in that. Um, Another area we're really looking at is live video commerce. It's not our our most immediate priority, even though I think there is a huge opportunity there. But, um, you know, look, we have a Shopify app. We have Shopify merchants who are starting to do live video on their Shopify store. It's not kind of where we ultimately expect it to go in terms of it being fully interactive and shoppable. But we see, you know, just like we've seen in China, that's coming, right? It's coming. And I don't think the merchants want to cede that entirely to Facebook and Instagram. I think they want to have a little bit of control over that. So, so we're looking to play in that space as well. That's an area. And then another area we're, we're, we're really starting to think about is the future of, of, of digital marketplaces. So ultimately, video is what's going to power you know, Airbnb, TripAdvisor, you know, and all these other kind of uh, real estate like Trulia and Zillow. Um, we know that's going to happen. And I think we're probably a year or so ahead, maybe, or two from where they might envision it. But we want to be ready to kind of become the powering platform for marketplaces um, so that you can tra- you know, see video on the fly when you're looking for real estate or thinking about buying a new car. And you can have some kind of lead gen transactional opportunity right there in those platforms. You're, I mean, you're touching upon all the sweet spots where 
being someone, and I've kind of had these discussions and I'm super passionate on the topic. That's why I wanted to get on this discussion with you. I think the things that you're thinking about and solving for are just absolutely incredible. And from a gap perspective, the way that I'm seeing things and just being on a global sales force, for instance, for Microsoft, and I don't see too many of my peers creating these this type of content. Usually it comes out of marketing or our leadership team yep. that's creating this, this type of internal comms. I think Microsoft's done a great job at internal comms and those types of things because we own a lot of those different platforms. Yep. Yep. We're, a, we're a tech company. That, that's the way it's going to go. Um, when you think about like, and you, I think you mentioned this when we were talking a couple, a couple weeks ago, this guerrilla warfare aspect of what does it mean for a sales team to start having some thoughts, uh, being thought leaders, creating content, um, and just a, a piece of what that looks like for folks that don't understand this platform. You know, you you log in, you invite folks to come in, you're creating this this video, whether it be live or uh, an on-demand version of that that capture, and then you're able to deploy that video across into your B2B space, in mm-hmm. your B2C space with uh, uh, YouTube, which this is being deployed to, into Facebook. So now you're taking this opportunity for this person who's having real conversations with customers on a day-to-day basis to just start talking about some of the things that they're that they're prospecting on, things that they specifically focus on, their perspective, whether it be technology, whatever. And they're deploying that at scale. And organically, that can touch more people than, than a marketing campaign could. When you think about sales... 100%. And so many of these businesses are thinking, are, are like, how can we increase increase revenue? Yeah. Like, what are our revenue opportunities? Like, I'd love to for you to talk about, and let's have some fun with this. You know, small company, uh, maybe mid size. Let's say you know five thousand employees or less. You know, just barely coming into the enterprise. Like, they're not. They're probably not doing video. What does that journey look like? Like, what when you when you hear sales and revenue increasing and having the sales force kind of go go and digitize and create content? What goes through your brain? Well, I think you first got to ask, why is it not happening to start? Like, why is it not happening in the real estate space? Why is, not, why is it not happening for auto dealerships? Why is it not happening for sales organizations? Well, the reality is because people think it's hard. And historically, mm-hmm. it's been really freaking hard. <laughs> like, it's really damn hard. But it shouldn't be that hard. Um, you know, look, there's, we, can, we have, we have uh, plenty of pl- parallels in other industries of how software has made something historically complex a lot easier. We're now in that part of the world with video and hopefully socialized kind of, you know, leading the way a little bit there. Um, but like it starts with you got to make it easy. The second thing is you got to make it known. So, you know, enterprises, you know, have to be able to kind of make this stuff available. So they have to be open to that innovation. But look, if you're a sales organization right now, I can't tell you how important social selling via video is. And I don't mean you're tell, you know, it could be thought leadership. It could be just getting your message out. In the year or so since I've been doing video on LinkedIn, 5% to 10% of revenue that we booked from large enterprise customers has come through folks that you know have seen some of the content I've produced um, that are people, yes, probably in most cases I had relationships with them. Maybe I went to law school with them, but I haven't talked to them in 15 or 20 years, right? Yeah. Seeing yeah. the video, getting back in touch, all of a sudden a conversation is happening with C-level executives at these organizations. I mean, and it's just been putting it out there, right? So nowadays, more than ever, the channels are there. The distribution is, that's the thing is the distribution is not a problem. There is distribution for content. Now it's just got to be about making it easy enough for everyone to create that content and get it out there. That's what we're trying to solve. Um, And so I encourage anyone who is 
part of a sales organization, even a marketing organization, you know, you don't have to be sales, you know, get your story out there. It'll help you on a personal level um, for sure, but it'll also lead to revenue results. And it's so interesting. Like you said, five to 10% of your revenue coming in from folks that are you're deploying video against, or you're just, you're just kind of creating content and they're coming in and yeah. there's this, there's this like ecosystem and there's all these re- If you look at it like a, I think about it as a solar system and in the, at the, the cortex or the, the center of this, of this solar system is you or the, your brand or whatever it is. I call it the avatar. Okay. You have these rings around that and each ring could be, you know, one ring is Facebook, one ring is LinkedIn, one ring is, you know, whatever. The sure. very, very outer ring is like, you know, hand to hand, you know, handshakes at conferences and things like that. But yeah. Yeah. like, how do you, how do you penetrate those rings and just have people understand what your message is, what your character is just so that they see it and those people on that ring might be friends via Facebook or folks that you went to law school with and LinkedIn. And they're just kind of noticing this. They go ahead and they talk to their people and their organic growth is absolutely, it's massive. I've seen some of the video that you've put out. It's, it's pretty awesome just to see you. And I feel like I know you just by watching some of the video you're, you're putting out, your son is in the video. It's, it's just, yeah. it's truly only one. only one. I can't get my seven-year-old to be in any of them. Yeah. So now you're touching on a subject that I also like to understand more. It's not easy to do this. Like right now we're setting up, we had to prepare some, some comments, make sure the lighting is okay. Our audio, there's some, there's some, uh, degree of, of challenge in kind of creating this thing for people who aren't good in front of a, a camera. Like, is that going to be friction? Is that going to be a, a showstopper? You're mentioning kind of some of these like, executive type folks that are coming down yeah. who are very familiar in front of a camera. But what about the layman? Like, what's hard for you about being in front of a camera? And what have you done to kind of get through that? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I, uh, I, I like talking. Uh, I enjoy <laughs> conversations. No, I mean, truly, like, I, I really enjoy having conversations like this. Like, this is my favorite type of thing, which is having, like, just interactive discussions answering questions. Also, I love being on the other side of this, to be honest with you. I love asking the questions. Um, you know, but it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't feel that onerous, right? Like it, there's a lot of ways to do this. I mean, if you're not comfortable, just try to start with recording some video. You don't have to be truly live. I mean, live can be a bigger bar barrier for, for folks. That's fine. Don't start there. There's ways to kind of create some, some short form video, get a feel for it and then push it out. Um, but I don't know, you know, it's got to be, I, I think, I think it's generally harder to just talk, you know, to a camera without anyone on the other side. Like this for me is much more natural, yeah, right? It's two people that have similar interests, you know, like to talk. It could, would be, we all are friends now. Like this is a natural way to have a conversation together. We're sharing, you know, sharing thoughts. I mean, you're asking more questions than I am for this particular one, but easily the next time we could flip that and that'd be really fun. Yep. Totally agree with that. And when I talk to you, and Social Live is located in El Segundo. That's um, right. Well, currently it's in a multitude of, of homes, probably. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, not a ton. When I think of SoCal, I like to think of SoCal as you know the, mm-hmm. the Silicon Beach and all these different things. You know, tech scene. You've kind of seen a couple different environments. You've been involved in the SF market, the New York market, uh, LA market. From a market perspective. Um, you're hiring folks from your team. Travis yeah. is driving this 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 experience right now, and he's he was just telling me that he gra- graduated from USC. So you're pulling in talent from local universities in sure. LA. What's your take on generally uh, the ecosystem that you're looking at from a tech perspective, and how does that play into yeah. 
your thoughts about encouraging and, and developing talent? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I've really kind of uh, put together some thoughts around the LA market over the last five years. I've been here almost five years now. So I moved, I started the company in New York City, moved out here about five years ago. Um, and then the, the, the company actually obviously pivoted into Social Live during that time. Um, so one of the reasons I moved to LA in the first place, what I really liked about LA, which has proven to be true, is it's a very entrepreneurial environment. Um, it, you know, not taking anything away from kind of venture capitalists per se, but San Francisco and New York are much more investor-driven markets first, entrepreneurs second, right? So you, you've seen it over the last three incarnation, the three, the three stages of Silicon Valley, the, you know, we're now kind of coming off the third one, right? It, it is a market that can be very frothy and kind of very driven by raising lots of money. In fact, if you go to San Francisco, people will immediately ask you who your investors are, not necessarily what your platform is or does or or even how you generate revenue, right? It's a different mindset. I know that's not across the board, but that's been my experience. And I, I, I feel like it's, it's really kind of gone down that path. New York is, is interesting because it's, it's, it's not quite that way, but it still has a very um, traditional kind of finance-driven um, element there. LA, Los Angeles, um, it's a much more entrepreneurial environment. It hasn't had the, the number of wins, big kind of like billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar-plus wins that San Francisco and New York have. As a result, it doesn't have that ecosystem of kind of investor-driven marketplace. Like the venture capitalists, while they're, they're building here, it's, it's a bit smaller. Um, even like angel investors, it's kind of a smaller network of angel investors. Growth equity P actually is much stronger here because there's a lot of like small, medium-sized family businesses and a yeah. lot of capital going into them. But so it's very more entrepreneurial. On the flip side, I think that with the so which I love as an entrepreneur who hasn't taken any institutional capital, we've never raised any venture. Um, we've, we are investor backed all by high net worth individuals, but we're a very like product revenue driven organization, um, and so it's I, I think it's an entrepreneurial spirit that we like here. That's why and very collaborative too. Entrepreneurs are awesome in LA. Like everyone will help each other in a way that I did not see always in New York, and I don't think to be the case in San Francisco. Now. On the flip side, talent, talent's challenging here. I'll be honest with you. I think, and, and for the same reason, because you haven't, you haven't had as many kind of really successful, um, you know, deep technology startups, the talent pool across technology sales and marketing is, is also not as deep. So, you, you know, it is hard to find folks who've been through one, two, or three uh, startups that have either exited and or kind of gone to different stages. and so. You know, you have to kind of you have to assemble your team a little bit differently. So I have found that to be a challenge here, to be honest. I love the LA context because we're both. You know, I'm in I'm in Orange County. You're in you're in LA right now. I'd love to to talk a little bit about that. But first, institutional capital. When you yeah. say that, that's managed funds. Like when you're talking about banks and you're talking about venture capital, where yep. somehow it's professionally managed. And yep. what is the what is the advantage of going in that direction? Uh, not from their perspective, because they're yeah. taking on some risk. Yeah. But what is the advantage from going on that, in that direction for a, like a social live? And what is the advantage from going into like a high net worth investor or a series of investors, friends, family, whatever that looks like? What has that helped you do? And what is that? How has it slowed you down? Yeah, no, it's a fair question. I, I like look. I think in our case, we've been very fortunate to be able to be investor backed, but at the same time to not have a have in our case. Um, venture capital in our business um, for, for a few reasons, but then I'll talk about where I think the benefits are. For us, it's been better because, look, 
we pivoted the business multiple times to get to where we are today. Social Live would not exist, at least in its current form, if we had taken institutional capital. This business would have been shut down a long time ago because we had to, it took us time to figure it out. By being investor backed but having less capital, it, it made us become more disciplined uh, about the business. Yeah, we had to be really rigorous. We had to really know we had a product and a market fit. Um, and we had to pivot earlier sometimes because you, you can't keep going on something that's not going to scale if you don't have lots of capital in your business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it created a discipline. Now, on the flip side, um, when your business is starting to scale, uh, not having as much firepower as you would want in the kitty, you know, that, that can hold you back. I mean, we're in a pretty good place because we're all already a profitable organization. So we're actually you know, profitable on a, on a P&L perspective. But at the same time, we also have uh, a decent amount of capital on the balance sheet. So we're able to make incremental hires, probably you know, not the, the number we would if we were institutionally backed, but enough to kind of, I think, continue to build the business at the right scale and level that we are right now. Look, my feeling on institutional capital, and first of all, it's, it, the reality is it's going to be different um, during this crisis. Like, it's going to be hard to get institutional capital right now for a whole slew of businesses. Now, on the flip side, if you are a, uh, if you are a, a business that is counter-cyclical to what we're about to experience, there's actually probably a lot of uh, both capital and m activity available for you. But if you are um, not that, it's going to be real tough to get institutional capital. My feeling is too many startups take on what is pretty expensive uh, institutional capital too early. So mm-hmm. I think it, it, it really, it, they don't even realize it, but a lot of times what it's doing is it's actually um, pinning in the business. It's reducing options. It's not increasing options. It's actually reducing options out of the gate because you're creating preferences in terms of the shareholders. You're, you're probably going to need to take on more capital because at the end of the day, venture capital is looking at, you know, 2 billion or bust, right? Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like a, a $300 million, $400 million value business, it's like, eh, you know, for most cases, but that's a great outcome for a lot of entrepreneurs, even a 50 or a hundred million dollars, a great outcome for a lot of entrepreneurs. So I always urge entrepreneurs to be very thoughtful on the capital they take because having optionality in the business, both in terms of how you build it, but also outcomes, you can, I can't tell you how important that is for you along the way. You're committing probably minimum five, more realistically, in my case, nine to 10 years of your life already wow. to this. It's huge, right? So you got to make sure that you're thinking about it from an ROI perspective too. And it, I mean, it sounds like when you're talking about you know this entire venture uh, capital uh, institutional capital idea, it's it's almost like it's a microcosm of what taking a business to IPO is. There, you're just losing a ton of flexibility in that process. How do you locate money? Maybe in LA, it's easy. It's hard. I don't know what it's like up there, so to speak. Like, what does that process look like? You know, from from an entrepreneur in your market in LA, like, what does that process look like? How do you how do you go and do that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I want to be clear too that I I don't think uh, there are plenty of businesses where taking venture or institutional capital is a great move. Mm -hmm. Certain companies need that kind of capital, that kind of firepower. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think less need it than actually take it is the reality. Yeah. Um, you know, finding capital is always hard. And, you know, it's obviously really hard if you're building kind of investor by investor. You know, in my case, I was a bit fortunate just given my network. I didn't start this business when I was 22. I started it when I was 32, I think, mm-hmm. or 33, right? So I had already gone to law school, had worked at McKinsey, had built a network of these folks who, you know, had firepower to put into high beta, you know, high risk uh, investments like Socialize. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
the thing is your network is key. Like at the end of the day, you got to build a network. And what you'll find is if you, if you can get one or two investors interested, angel investors, they come in packs, you know, you know, there's not one angel is never by himself. If one, if one investor's in, they usually have five to 10 friends who are also looking to deploy capital in these types of things. And that's how it's worked for me. I mean, I've had essentially like a hub and spoke model where I've had, you know, different individuals that have gotten involved and they had like five or six or 10 folks that got involved. So it's been really interesting of having like kind of those key people that have then brought their network in. And that's how we've been able to, to, to build our business. So you got to think about those relationships. I like how you talked about the networking. It, it's in it's just the fact that you you've had the, the work experience. You weren't trying to come out of you know your BA trying to start up a you know multi million dollar business. So I think focusing on the network and reminding folks to focus on that is is so high value. Um, what keeps you up at night in terms of? I mean, there's probably a ton of things that do, but yeah. like, what what is what is keeping you up at night uh, from, a, from, from a day a- to day? From a business perspective? From a business, yeah, from a business perspective, yeah. Yeah, um, great question. So, I mean, one, this, it, weirdly, this is the most exciting part of the journey. Like, it's taken so long to get to this point, and it took a pandemic to accelerate it even more. And it's weird to kind of be, uh, on the one hand, this is like the most strange, kind of really horrible time. On the other side, like for the business, it's actually like really um, invigorating every morning, because Every, every morning I wake up to a whole slew of really new, interesting discussions and emails from fortune level customers and other folks that, you know, are interested to partner with us, which is what I've always dreamed we would be at. Um, you know, just, just really being able to, to quickly hire the resources to be able to sp- support the growth that we're seeing. The growth is, it's, it's pretty, for us, pretty astronomical. And, um, you know, it's really about getting the talent in here. I think in this environment, things are moving so fast. So making sure that team members get onboarded um, appropriately when things are accelerating so fast. I mean, my days are, are right now, you know, 12 hours, you know, basically eight to six or so 10 hours where I'm back to back usually, not engaging with the team in the way I'm used to engaging. And then oftentimes, you know, having to power up after the kids go to sleep. So just making sure that we uh, don't lose connection with the core team in terms of the day-to-day and making sure that um, new hires get onboarded and kind of can, can kind of get uh, fit into the system in a way that really um, allows them to be the superstars that they can be. It sounds like just the level of opportunity that you're, that you're coming across right now is just, it's, it's good to see. I, I'm thinking about this almost from a philosophical perspective. I think a lot of people are going through really hard times. You know, one in three Americans are either losing their jobs or they're going on furlough or somehow their finances are being impacted. Right. That's, that's massive. Right. Um, but we're, you, I think folks don't focus enough on the opportunity. There's always opportunity for something, whether it be buying low in the market, whether it be getting to know your kids better. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I have friends that are uh, furloughed or laid off or f- frankly just aren't going to have a job. And they're at home from a day to day with their kids kind of uh, complaining a little bit about what the future holds for them. But they're, they have this ability to snapshot in time to spend some time with their five and six year old son or, or daughter. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's the same goes to, to business. How are you seizing this opportunity? How are you, are you creating content? Are you upskilling? Are you thinking about your plans? Like there's a positivity inflection, I think, that just doesn't happen very often. And I think people just need to seize that a lot more. With, with that, you mentioned education a little earlier. And I'd love to talk to you about what you're passionate about before we, we end the call here uh, in the next few minutes. 
how can this process, you're talking about video creation, you're talking about dealerships, you're talking about all these different kinds of re, uh, retail space, you're talking about real estate, how they can start using video. What does that look like on an education front? Like, are we, good, are we doing a good enough job at deploying uh, skilling across education? Are there opportunities there as well in, in, in the video world? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on education. Um, my mother was a sixth grade public school teacher for 30 years. Um, my passion has always been kind of education and, and how you use video and entertainment, but as you know, to kind of make education more engaging and relevant. Um, that's one of the reasons I joined Scholastic, you know, back in, uh, you know, 2006 or whenever it was, um, because I thought they had a, an interesting platform. But, you know, look, I, I think... Yeah, I don't want to make this political, but I, I do think our country has underinvested in education for way too long, uh, along with a whole slew of other parts of infrastructure like healthcare and and, and, and infrastructure itself. Um, look, we're, 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 we're seeing kind of the breakage in the American system right now. We're seeing kind of the imperial power starting to weaken, right? Um, and the reality is like we just haven't invested in education. Like we look at being a teacher as being, you know, a low level job, you know, it's starting salaries are abysmally low, not respected in this country, you know, quite frankly, this country over respects uh, athletes and, and, and celebrities and billionaires and millionaires. And look, I'm building a business. Yes, we're trying to create value. So I, I get it from that side. But it's really sad when you think about it, that like, we care so much more about, um, you know, uh, a superstar athlete, or, uh, you know, uh, a, a billionaire tycoon and we do about the teachers who are on the front lines trying to educate our young ones. And I think the reality is we, we haven't invested enough in, in, in the profession. Uh, you know, the schools themselves, you know, being largely property tax driven creates a, tons of disparities across the, the country. Um, you know, Jonathan Kozell's book, Separate and, and, and Unequal, um, still remains relevant, you know, 20 years later. But, you know, I think, you know, we're, and we're also under-equipped from a technology perspective. I mean, I've been pretty impressed with what my kids have been experiencing from a Zoom perspective in terms of their classes over the last few weeks. So it shows it's possible. And I think, you know, virtual education is definitely real. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I do think education is still one of those things that in-person is the key. And then video and other types of sources augment. But we're not really there yet in terms of embracing technology and, and the learning environment. That's become hugely clear over the last, you know, four or five weeks. Yeah. And I, my, my kids aren't old enough to be bringing home any, any type of curriculum, but you know, I have some educators in the family. My wife comes from a family of educators and it's funny, just my wife's mom will send a video of her videoing, uh, like her iPad and there'll be like the sound off on the iPad, <laughs> with some video of something happened and she's narrating the video and she, so they're, it's like they're cultivating this relationship uh, with their uh, grandmas. You know, my, my yeah. mom is, is certainly, you know, we're doing FaceTime and all those different things. And we got a tripod. So we have the tripod yeah. like on the counter facing the bath. So it's bath time with, with Volvo, cool. which is who's my, who's my mom. And this whole thing is going. And I'm always thinking about what that gap looks like for education and, and how, we could, how we could address that gap with technology. It's just such a, just a massive discussion. So... Last question here. Yeah. If you had, and I typically end the podcast sessions with these types of questions. Okay. Um, if you had seven days to tackle any challenge with unlimited resources, what would that be? Oh, interesting. Okay. So um, 
seven days, unlimited resources. Tackle unlimited resources. Anything. Time resourcing is, is not an unlimited. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll, we, my wife and I, uh, we have a lot of areas kind of we're passionate about. Um, you know, for me, you know, I continue to kind of be passionate about learning as a space and how to kind of deliver, you know, higher level, better education to kids in need, whether it be in the United States, but also in, in um, impoverished nations around the world. So seven days is not a whole lot of time, but I would at least start the process. Uh, if I, first of all, put it this way, if I had, my family was set from a resources perspective, <laughs> and then we could kind of go all in with resources on one particular social endeavor, you know, I would probably commit myself to, to education, particularly for, you know, how do we, how do we deliver the resources and kind of working with folks like the Gates Foundation to kind of really help um, uh, equalize the system for kids in, you know, poor urban and rural areas in the United States. And then secondarily, I would say, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, as well as other, other kind of regions around the world. Because, I mean, I go back to my time in Zimbabwe. I met some of the most exceptional, bright, uh, inspiring young children there between the ages of 10 and 14 that you know, if given the chances that they, that I've had in my life would be doing far more than what I'm doing with social life. That's how unbelievably these kids were. So I'm just purely fortunate to be in the body that I'm in and, you know, at the point yeah. that I'm at. And we just got to change that as humans. Like that's just not fair. And I mean, there's the, there's the making sure our earth doesn't explode as well. But for me on a very human <laughs> level, like I just think kids need a chance, man. Yeah. That's, that's really well said, David. And Hey, you know what? I, you're just a, a great person and definitely a leader. There's so much to unpack with you. I know you have a, an immensely busy schedule, especially right now. And I just really appreciate all the help and learnings that you've kind of cultivated um, uh, through me and 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 have taught me. And, and the team's been getting on calls and helping me kind of create this content and kind of release and deploy some of the stuff that we've been doing. And I've been doing a ton of stuff on COVID-19 technology that Microsoft is releasing and things that folks awesome. are focusing on. And we've been having a lot of fun. Really, really enjoyed this discussion. I loved it, man. No, it's great to be getting to know you. Thanks for being customer number one at Microsoft. And uh, <laughs> it's awesome to have you as a champion and partner. Excited to see what we can do together. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.